0: the highest attendance of churches in germany at christmas time because it's traditional and yet the biggest christian date the biggest date in christianity by far is easter and so stay with me on this because i'm obviously going to talk in a way that's going to get you to think and at least possibly even challenge some preconceived ideas or traditional mindsets But stay with me on this journey because I believe God wants to bring fresh understanding. He wants to bring fresh revelation about the very essence of why Easter is a big deal. It'll never be a big deal to anyone else if it's not a big deal to us. It doesn't work like that. It's got to be in you before it's in anyone else. And so let's really talk about why is it a big deal. And so Easter obviously is about the death and the resurrection. And we understand that to some degree, but let's think about Christmas. Christmas points people to Easter. A son was born unto you, a child will be born, his name will be Emmanuel. So we see that Christmas actually has a purpose and he was born, Jesus, to die. And we find that that story goes towards Easter. So you can find that they're actually complementary according to the Word of God. So we've gotta make a decision today in our Western culture. Are we gonna make the traditional version stronger and bigger than the actual biblical version of Easter? So I wanna put on your table today, I wanna to put on front of you today, the biblical version of Easter and why does it have so much importance for us? And what is it about it that should get our attention? So what's the big deal about Easter? Number one, Easter reveals the power of the cross. Easter reveals the power of the cross. Christianity is nothing without the cross. I mean, you can have some moralistic behaviour, you can have some do-good behaviour, you can have some forms of Christianity, you can have your flavour of Christianity, you can have your, you, you know, your, your Mother Teresa version of Christianity, or you can have that style of Christianity, you can have all of these things and, and there's some aspects of Christianity you've got to understand, but that, that's not Christianity. The cross is what actually gives Christianity substance. And so that's one aspect of it. The second thing is Easter reveals the power of a death. Christianity is nothing without a death and the death of Christ, more importantly, not just the death of any man, but the death of God Himself. And that's something we'll do maybe next week. Number three, Easter reveals the power of the resurrection. Christianity is nothing without New life and resurrection. And number four, Easter points us to the right side of the cross. Christianity is a message of hope. And we've got to understand which side of the cross are we going to live our lives. So the first one I want to do today, I want to try and illustrate it for you. And before I do that, let me read what the Bible says. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's replying to a church in Corinth. Corinth obviously is starting to grow It's considered a very liberal church. It's considered to be a church with all sorts of tensions. Half of Corinth was slaves. The other half of the population were were people that worked for Rome, either as military people or as governors or as political people. So Corinth was an interesting city. It was a trade city, and it was a city that was very liberal. They had temple prostitution. You had all sorts of occultism. You had all sorts of expression of people doing whatever they wanted. So Paul writes a letter to a church that gets started in a wonderful city called Corinth. All right? So there's just some of the context. And he tells them about the cross. And I kind of feel like in the 21st century, we can't talk enough about the cross. And so we're going to do a little bit of that today. Is that okay? So what we have here is Paul is writing this letter and he says, 1 Corinthians 1, to 18-25, he says, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But we who are being saved recognize the message as the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy human wisdom And disregard the most brilliant ideas. So, where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Verse 21 Since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never find him or know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who only believe what agrees with their own wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is far Wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's wisdom, God's weakness, is stronger than the greatest of human strength. See, the gospel, the good news, is the ultimate story that shows victory coming out of defeat, strength coming out of weakness, life coming out of death, rescue coming out of abandonment, rejection. Of one leads to the acceptance of many. The gospel is the ultimate story where separation of one brings restoration of many. All of these things I'm reading out to you, you will find in modern day movies. Box office hits, redemption, underdogs becoming winners. It's amazing how humans, we always resonate to injustice and justice. We're drawn to the stories and the narratives where things that are not right have to be addressed and we want to protest and we want to lobby and we want to do this and we want to do that. And human effort can only get you so far. But listen to the gospel. It's the ultimate story that shows one became sin so that many become righteous. One becomes lost so that many can be found. One leaves home so that many can come home. Son leaves the father so many sons can be restored to the father. The father rejects one son so that the father can accept many sons. The gospel reminds mankind that our greatest enemy has been defeated. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your hold? Pain and suffering, evil, have all lost their power. No more pain, no more crying, no more weaking. Peace forevermore, joy everlasting, eternity secured forever comes through the good news. You might not like it right now. But you've got to understand what the gospel is and what it isn't. And we've got to be willing to lay down our traditional forms of the gospel and pick up the biblical narrative of the gospel. And this will be confronting and it will be challenging because we all pick up things along the way that we don't really believe or we don't know why we believe it. And so I think this lead up to Easter my endeavour, at least the prayer that I'm bringing to the table for our church, is that we will have fresh revelation of Easter, that we'll make it a big deal because our city doesn't think it's a big deal. And it won't be a big deal if the church doesn't think it's a big deal. So is anyone with me on this? Easter is a big deal. Let me give you an illustration to try and do this because I feel an illustration may bring it home a little bit closer think about it. If you take the cross out of our story, what have we got? What have we got? That's why you can never take the cross out of our story. So what I want to do here is I want to get an example. So Andreas, you can come up and you can play Jesus again. And you're on the cross. And what I want to do is to illustrate again a lot of things here that we can take for granted. So I don't know about you, but when you look at the cross, the Greeks were like, that's a whole lot of nonsense." We still quote Plato, Socrates, and all of these Greek philosophers today, even in our modern universities. It's amazing how the Greek era has given us so much to think about because they asked questions that a lot of people didn't ask. Or maybe they were just recorded better than any other generation. What I am saying is this, is that the Greeks looked at it and went, what a whole lot of nonsense. It doesn't look like a victory. Alexander the Great would never have seen Jesus on the cross and said, victory! It would have said everything else. Your hero is dead. Your God is so weak. And we've got to remember the narrative of our life. We've got to remember the story and the tensions of today. You're saying that God defeated on the cross is the answer for humanity. And it messes with our heads. That's why human wisdom will never get it. Human wisdom's never going to perceive it. So let me ask you this. Let me present it this way. Observation asks three questions. Three questions that observation asks. Number one, what's the need? A second question that observation will ask is, what's the opportunity? The third question observation will ask is, what's the message? So, what's the need? When you're observing the cross, what's the need? What is the need for a man to be brutalized and executed on a cross? It doesn't land up. It's like, I, I'm, if I'm God, I'd have a better way. We can come up with innovation and, and, and startups and we can come up with a whole lot of investors and angel investors. We, we got all our little ideas, but if we were God, what would you do? All of God's strategy for the redemption of humanity is visually put on a cross a man that has dropped his head, a spear in his side, three nails to hold him up, a gruesome crucifixion, a gruesome, basically, execution. And that is the redemption story of the world. And yet we watch Alien. And we watch all of these movies. Ridley Scott, my favourite director in all the world, and he makes some great movies and And all of these people that have made movies, and they'll always show you the tension of one sacrificing for the others. We love the movies. We love the narratives. We love the stories. But we pay a ticket and we eat popcorn and then we go home. But this story can nest you up forever. This story should never leave you the same. And so we've got to have a tension. We can't turn Easter into a... It's got to be more than that, church. All I'm trying to say is our city's never going to know it if we don't love it. It, Our city's not going to know it if we don't own it. Our city's not going to know it if we don't care about it. we got to know what it is. So we got the cross. What's the need? The rescuing of humanity. What's the opportunity? Redemption. What's the message? You can come home. And so you can go from different angles on this. And by the way, you can ask them questions in any area of life, any area of life. Observation will always ask questions. But what I want you to understand is, is that there was people that Jesus spent His public ministry with for three years. And I want to sum it into basically two categories and probably will introduce three categories. And I want you to understand this. Now, theologians and writers and thinkers have done this for years, and they say it way better than I can. But on the cross, if you can put the image up for us, there was not just Jesus crucified, but there was two thieves on either side. And what I love about this image is that the gospel narratives tell us this, that a common criminals were put on each side of Jesus. And what I think is amazing, and the thinkers and the theologians have articulated this so well, is that there are two thieves, a thief on each side of the cross. And that can mean so much for us even today. If you do not keep Jesus central, we can drift to the left or drift to the right. In other words, we can get robbed by going to the right and we can get robbed by going to the left. And they articulated this in a way that I'd not seen before. But I want you to see this With fresh eyes and fresh ears, I hope you to see it and understand it today. So here's Jesus, and what's His message? Well, there's two groups of people, so let's get two of the Amigos. And Luke, you can join the Amigos today. So we've got three Amigos. And what we've got is we've got Robert, you're going to be the religious. And we've got Sven, who is... um, you're just a picture of humility, so you can go humility. So, so Luke represents basically, and Luke, the gospel of Luke majors on this. He always mentions the untouchables, the broken, the forgotten, women and children, tax collectors, people that were despised by the religious. So when Jesus was around, He got most of His flack, most of His tension from the religious community. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all that represented the Torah, the, 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 the law of Moses and so they prided themselves on keeping the law they walked and talked religiously they prayed long prayers and they were the first to sacrifice and the offering and make it all about themselves and look how big my offering is and they they were they would walk past people uh, 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 that were in need and just to obey uh, basically um, the the law the law of the Sabbath and all of these festivals and that that's what they were about they weren't about Jesus they were about and it's amazing how Jesus points to all these shadows all these shadows were pointing to Jesus but they couldn't see it they were addicted to the sh- shadows. And I think sometimes we're a bit like that. We're like more addicted to a tradition than we are to Jesus. I don't want a tradition. I want Jesus. And if you get Jesus, He'll be pretty relaxed with your traditions. It's amazing when you get it right round. So let's get to the religious people. They would follow Jesus and they would hear what He was saying. And He would say, Hey, I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm the bread of life. He who thirsts. All these things that Jesus said about himself in the Gospel of John, the seven statements that Jesus made about himself and basically telling people that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the way to God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you receive me, you receive the Father. So everything about Jesus was basically giving them a visible image of an invisible God and the religious hated him. Because how did he talk? So they're listening to Him and they're getting mad and mad and mad and angry because their whole foundation is based on good works, religious works, what I have to do, what law I have to keep, what sacrifice I have to bring. And so Jesus comes and they see Him hanging out with these guys, the little rascals, the naughty people. Not that they're act together. The tax collectors, they were ripping everybody off. They were stingy cheaters. They were, they were not pleasant people. But what is He doing? He's speaking, come home, come home. And so these guys are listening and going, hmmm. Huh. Who does he think he is? And these guys are listening from a distance because they didn't want to get close to the religious because they knew they could be stoned, they could be killed, they could be exiled. It was a very tense world. You think we got problems in the world today? Trust me, we've always had problems in the world. It's just Instagram makes it worse. And Twitter and everything else. So here we have little rascal listening to Jesus, watching how he's talking. And he's bringing hope to this man. So here we have a picture of the self-righteous. What have I got to do? What am I doing? I keep the law. I obey the law. I sacrifice. I give a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a tenth. Tenth, tenth. I mean, they were all about everything was, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be right. They were untouchable in the sense of no one wanted to be around them. And they're the guys that put Jesus on the cross. So we got all these guys like that Luke is majoring on the gospel of Luke. The people that are, that, that are sexually involved in ways that the religious world said you can't do that. They were drugged up, screwed up, messed up. Everything you could think of, these people were doing it. And they thought that God would never be interested in them. And then God Himself incarnate, turns up in flesh and walks and talks and comes around them, has dinner with them, hangs out with them. And the religious people hate His guts. Anything changed today? And so the little rascals are leaning in. They're a little coming closer and they're like, can I come home? Are you sure I can come home? I'm messed up. I'm broken. I've done things I'm ashamed of. I I I need forgiveness, but is there forgiveness for me? Is there hope for me? And so they're leaning in, but these are leaning in, but they're not leaning in to basically learn from him. They're leaning in because they actually want to kill him. So pride wants to kill But humility wants to learn. When are you more humble? When you're doing well in life or when you're broken in life? When are you more teachable in life? When you're doing well or when you've had a few knocks? When you're successful, are you more open? Or when you've had a few failures and setbacks, are you more open? We have got to all navigate this ourselves. And I want you to know that there was brokenness in this story, and he was saying, "Come home." But Jesus wasn't talking to one son; he was talking to both sons. And in this side of the cross, what is the message? Come home. God Himself in the flesh is saying, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." The Father saying, "Come home." They are so mad because it's undermining everything that they built their lives on. Their foundation, the vine that they have connected to, religion, everything that they knew basically was being pulled from them. That they were basically confronted with, you cannot earn your salvation. You can only receive it as a gift. These guys are going nuts, going, really? 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 Too good to be true? Too good to be true? Come a little bit closer. Is it really? Really? You know, And we talk ourselves out of it. God won't touch me. God doesn't want me. I'm messy. I'm complicated. I've got habits. I've got addictions. You don't want to know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. You don't know what I'm looking at. You don't know what I'm doing right now. And I'm telling you, God does know. He's always known. And He's still saying, come home. That's what Easter's about. And so we have, what I introduce here is the only way for the rascal to come home is that the rascal has got, this is the the unreligious, the unrighteous, the irreligious. Those that were cut off, that the religious world made it easy and made it hard for them. They had to come by humility. So humility, you have to access the cross through humility. Humility is interesting because it's right identity. And what is right identity? I need Him and I want Him more than anyone or anything else. So when this person finds out that God is on their side, the good news is drawing him. All he's got to do is, do I want Jesus more than anyone or anything else? Do I need him? Yes. But do I want him? So humility will bring you towards Jesus. But this is the challenge with pride. Pride doesn't acknowledge that I need him. Pride rejects him. And so this is what I'm trying to say here is there's there's always... Two groups of people in life, the self righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah. Al- that's always in life. Even today in the 21st century in Berlin, we've got the self righteous and we've got the, and you don't even need to go to church to be self righteous. You could be the hardest core atheist, you could be whatever you want to be, you could be a, the, the biggest deal since anyone else, I'm telling you now. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Self righteous is basically, I don't need God, I can do it myself. And it's the very essence of religion. And so this guy and this guy basically have to come in to a place of humility. So who's going to come to the cross? The one that chooses humility. The one that chooses humility. So now we've got this picture on the cross. Let's get on the other side of the cross. This is what Easter's all about. So on this side of the cross, what's the story? What's the message? Stay home. Over here... Come home over here, stay home. So what does the cross represent? The good news, what's the good news? You can come home and the good news is you can stay home. Oh, oh, I thought we just used the Gospel for the lost. No, the Gospel's not just for the lost, it's for the church, it's for the sons and the daughters. You say, how can that be? Well, I'll tell you why. So we come through the cross, And this is what happens. So Mr. Righteous, self-righteous, he comes through the cross by humility. I need him and I want him more than anyone else. But he comes through to the cross. In other words, he's accepted what Jesus has done for him. He's allowed the work of Christ to work on his benefit. He got salvation as a gift by faith. And so now he's on the other side of the cross. So the message to him was come home. Now he's come home. What's the message? What's the gospel message to him? Stay home. But this is the challenge. On the other side of the cross, you still have two groups of people. Like on the picture, Jesus at the center, two thieves on the other side. What is the temptation now you become a believer? Well, the righteous, self-righteous people tend to go the other way and become liberals, loose as a goose. And the unrighteous come through the way of the cross And after a couple of years being in the house of God, all right, yeah, so he comes from over there, unrighteous, irreligious, comes through the cross after three years of serving God, starts to become legalistic. And that's what Paul had to deal with in Galatians. He talked about freedom. You come through the cross and you get freedom. It's all Jesus and you come through the other side. So this is the drift is you can drift to legalism or you can drift to liberalism. So what is it that's going to keep you is humility. You have the temptation, the temptation to drift into legalism or liberalism. So what's legalism? Legalism, I've got to keep paying the rules. I've got to keep reading my Bible. I've got to keep praying. In other words, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to tithe. I've got to go to church. I've got to, I've got to. It's all law again. There's no I want to. It's a relationship now because of Jesus, not religion. You've left all that stuff behind. Now you're on the other side. But I'm telling you now, after three years of being a coming to Christian, I became very legalistic, started judging people. We can all do this. In other words, I started to put all the emphasis on me getting it right instead of God turning my wrongs into rights. And so what I found is, is that humility is always going to be my disposition in life. I've got to choose right identity. I need Him and I want Him more than anyone else or anything else. And it doesn't matter what your success is. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in church. No one beats this story. It's our story. So on this side of the cross, it's come home. The good news is you can come home home. You're not broken enough, dirty enough, messy enough. You're not sexed up enough. You're not drugged up enough. You're not complicated enough that Jesus cannot handle. We all have to come. Now, don't get the revelation. This is the religion. Clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. No, you don't clean yourself up. That's like having a bath before you have a bath. That's stupid. You come as you are. When I came to Jesus, I was not clean. I needed to be clean. And He cleaned me. But it's come as you are and let Him change you. Don't turn it into, well, I'll get my version of Jesus and I'll come as I am and I'll stay as I am. Because that's not Christianity, people. That's another form of religion, self-righteousness. So look, over on here, just be careful. Self-righteous or unrighteous. Usually, we're all in either in them two categories. We, at both of them categories, we've both got to go into humility. You've got to come to the cross humility. I actually realize I need him. I actually realize that I want him. Some of it is I need him, but I don't want him yet. I want to keep playing around. I want to keep doing this. It's because you're paranoid about letting go of control. You want your definition of freedom, but it's not freedom, it's bondage. And so Jesus brings you through the cross and He puts you into this other side. And you've got to be careful you don't turn into a legalist. And you don't turn into a liberal. A liberal, what's a liberal? Do what I want, when I want, however I want. I'm free. The grace of God. Well, Bible says that the grace doesn't make you more sinful, it makes you less sinful. It doesn't mean that you can do more and get away with it. Christ can't be crucified for your sins anymore. He was died once and for all past, present and future sins. You have a place of safety and you don't dishonour God by, 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 by dishonouring it. You honour it by doing what God said you can do. In this place, don't become a liberal and think it's whatever I want. No, don't use your freedom for self-serving. Use it for the glory of God. Use it to serve each other. And I want you to understand this is a lot of tensions at a lot of levels because all of us come from this side of the fence and we come through the way of the cross and you don't know who gets saved and you don't know why people get saved. You don't know all the details and you can't judge it. All you can do is watch over time and see the fruit and the evidence. But on this side of the fence, I want you to understand just because you came by the grace of God, understand the gospel and the good news is not for those who are lost. It's for those who are found. It's equally as important. And that's what keeps us in a place of humility. I need Him and I want Him. I need Him, I want Him. What happens if you come through the cross and on the other side of the cross? Let's just say last weekend you said yes to Jesus. And then suddenly you've had the worst week of your life. You found out the habits that you've got before Jesus are still there. You know something's different, but you don't know what it is, but you've still got things going on. And I'm telling you now, we've all got to realize this. Who told you you wouldn't have any more problems? That's exactly right. So you come to Jesus, you come to the cross, you come to this beautiful good news, and then you find out, oh my goodness, And then suddenly, straight away, you make a mistake. You have a bad thought. You do something you're ashamed of. You do what you love, but you do what you don't want to do. But you do it because you love it, but you don't love it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And then suddenly, you're like, oh! You're over here again. Oh, I'm a sinner. Save me. I'm not. And you play all these drama games and we put ourselves back over here. And Jesus said, What are you doing over there? You're supposed to stay over here. My blood is big enough. My name is big enough. My kingdom is big enough. You don't run back out. You stay home. But listen are we going to build a kind of a church that will let that happen? I know I'm shouting, sorry, because I'm passionate, but listen to me, can we build a home where kids can stay home? Where God's sons and daughters can stay home? Well, but I'm a bit messy. I know you are, but so am I. So are you. Or do we want to go back into this? You think the Pharisees were sinless? They were not sinless. What about the woman in adultery? The point I'm trying to do here is, are we going to play church? Are we going to play religion? Are we going to turn Easter into a show? Are we going to turn it into something that has no power, no wine, no nothing for anybody? We've got to get back to the real Jesus. We've got to get back to the real message. No one is saying that on the other side of the cross that you are going to be perfect. You weren't perfect before, but why is it different on this side? It's because you're on this side because of the finished work of Jesus. It's grace and grace alone. Undeserved. And you know what the grace of God does? It melts you every time you feed on it. I get what I don't deserve. I don't deserve your kindness. I don't deserve another life. I don't deserve a second chance. I don't deserve... And you can talk yourself out of the promise of God. Well, I'm telling you, when you get onto this side, this is not about making mistakes. It's it's knowing that you do make mistakes, but what do you do with them? You keep bringing them to Jesus, you keep going, God. And it's not begging Him for forgiveness, you're forgiven. It's using the things that He's given you. You've got my name. You've got my assurance. You've got my promise. You've got my Holy Spirit. You've got the blood of Jesus. You've got everything that I ever gave you. My work is a finished work. So what am I trying to say today? It's the good news that gets you home. And it's the good news that keeps you home. It's the good news that helps you. And it's the good news that strengthens you. Keep it about the good news. Keep it about the gospel. Keep it about the cross.